Oh, oh, PC. Hey, hey that's, that's cool. cool. You got a podcast? Well, I didn't, I didn't know, know that. that. Oh, that's cool. Now you do. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back. Oh, that's cool. OTC's very own podcast on all the great people we work with here at OTC. I am Jared Durden, and with me as always... Andrew Crocker. I was chomping at the bit. Sorry. I get all adrenaline in my system right now. Have you ever heard that joke, uh, knock, knock? Who's there? Interrupting cow. <laughs> Interrupting Who, cow. Moo- yeah. Oh, I messed it up. <laughs> yeah. It was close. It's, uh, I, um, I'm kind of excited right now. Oh, that's good. I've got a little adrenaline pumped into me. We're on the road. This is the first time we've taken the podcast on the road. How are you feeling? Great. Do you, do you have any jet lag or? No, that... no jet lag. None whatsoever. This place is, it feels like a, not a second. I've been to Richwood Valley. How many of you, you and I have been to all the satellite campuses, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. This is a particularly gorgeous one among them all, My, mainly because it has this really great overlook where you can kind of look across the highway and you can see, is it across the highway they're building the new water park? Is that what's Yeah. Happening? And I forgot to look to see. If that's uh, come along anymore. I hope so. I hope. And, and, you know, I was actually thinking about that on the way down because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And since the pandemic's picked up, our use of Zoom has become universal. We Zoom for everything. And you and I talked about making this trip several times, and it never occurred to me. We could have done this by Zoom. I just it didn't occur to me until the drive down. I was like, we could have zoomed this. We could. I'm happy that we're not. Why? Why? Why did you choose? Because I think this is a really important thing for our our statement here. Why did you choose to do it in person? Uh, well, for one, it seemed like a lot of. It, we've been working a lot on getting the quality of the recording down, and I I don't I don't feel as confident about that on Zoom. Though we, I'm sure we could pull it off. Uh, the main reason though, yeah, we, we, it's about, we're, we're building community, right? I wanted to, to be here, see the campus, talk to people face to face. Um, uh, we've met our first guest before, but, but we haven't met our second guest before. So, you know, it, it's nice to kind of be in the same room and, and look each other in the eye and get to know each other. The literal embodiment of meeting people where they are is what we're doing right the now. Literal embodiment. Because for the first however long we've been forcing them like, hey, you Richwood Valley people, you want to come party with us, you need to trudge on up to Springfield. That's right. And that's the other thing, I right? Mean, they is, put, we put them in our meat grinder rather sure. than we go into theirs. Right. Uh, OTC is sprawled throughout the Ozarks. We have all kinds of great centers and, and the idea is to kind of get to know everybody we work with, even though we may not see them every day. Do you dread the future of the economy. I uh, was reading this uh, poll that said 59% of workers felt that all or much of their job could be performed remotely. Does that fill you with dread? The idea that almost half the people we know could theoretically be working from home? Uh, I don't think that dread, no. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I have some concerns about, you know, what our jobs look like in terms of educators online, but I, I'm, I'm pretty cautiously optimistic just all the time. I don't, I don't, I don't think I have a choice because I do really, I, I could be pessimistic, but man, I do, I'm just no fun if I'm pessimistic. So I think I, I tend to lean more on that optimism side. Just blind optimism. No, a cautious, <laughs> cautious optimism. <laughs> the only reason you and I are doing this, oh, well, I guess of many reasons is because we saw each other in person on a regular basis. And I always get the feeling that when you see people in person, when you're everybody at a workplace is working together in person, you get a little bit of the um, the collective is worth more than the sum of their parts. Absolutely. And I, I do worry some that if you force people to work remotely, that you disband that sum. And now all we have is the literal parts 
working. I just feel like you lose something. I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I thought you were going to go a whole different direction with this well, conversation. Why? I thought you were going to suggest the idea of some kind of Zoom and water park collaboration. <laughs> which <laughs> I don't you might want to think about that as a business venture. I mean, you could. There are several things you could do at a water park remotely. You could lifeguard remotely. You can't sure. save people, but you could tell people. To, well, like, I was thinking stop, more like. Stop running by the pool. You could do that. Like people remotely. at their homes do some kind of water event and they're all doing it together remotely through Zoom. <laughs> sure. Uh, I, why not? Yeah. I We have uh, in my yard, we have uh, almost a permanent water slide area because it destroys the grass. So we've just like, why even worry <laughs> about taking it off the grass? Like we'll just the leave slip it there. and slide? Yeah, absolutely. Sure, sure. So uh, we are in Branson today um, at the Table Rock campus, um, and uh, we have, as always, a wonderful guest. And today uh, we have brought on um, Dr. Robert Griffith, uh, who is the president of the Table Rock Center. How are you doing today, Robert? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm flattered and excited. Absolutely. So we, uh, Andrew and I have both met you before. Um, we got to uh, kind of take a tour of the campus and meet you um, with the... OTC uh, leadership uh, group. Um, but for our listeners that don't know you well, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, just kind of uh, first, uh, just about yourself, and then uh, maybe a little bit about your relationship with college. Sure, yeah. Um, well, uh, I grew up mostly overseas. Um, I, I listened to a, an earlier version of the podcast in preparation for this, and so I had to YouTube Gumby. Oh, good. <laughs> I don't know nothing about Gumby, all right? But, Not um, popular overseas? Mr. Ed, though. Uh, but Mr. Ed, of course, is universal. Yeah. Okay, which seas are we talking about? Over which seas? My, well, my dad was a physician, but he uh, signed up for the Air Force and sold his practice when I was eight. So we lived in England for three or four years, a little bit in Italy, um, and then Germany for three years, and then came back from there for college. So the so. cultural outreach for Mr. Ed. It's there. You guys are aware. You have you have a consciousness of Mr. Ed. But Gumby. Yes, Germans, Germans love Mr. Ed, along with David Hasselhoff. Huge. <laughs> Both of them are huge in Germany. Okay, sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, coming up then, coming up overseas, you ended up here how? You guys well, uh, dart at a map? Yeah, kind of. And then you're um, like, let's go there. I, I thought I wanted to play college basketball, and no one had told me that I was slow. And I thought if I found a small enough college, right, that maybe there would be a spot for me. Um, and there was for a few weeks. And uh, so I went to college at Washita Baptist University in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, which was actually a lovely place. I went visiting colleges and it was um, about this time of year. I visited some colleges in the Midwest and it was rainy and miserable. And then I went to Arkansas and it was old brick buildings and professors riding bicycles while they walked their beagles and sunny and pretty girls. And I thought... Okay, done deal. This will work. So I signed up there um, and moved from there to Missouri State for my master's degree. While I was at Missouri State, I adjuncted a little bit at OTC in the old, old days. Um, Your subject of choice? English. Yeah, so I did a master's degree at Missouri State in um, like a, in, in English, but with an emphasis in American Lit and creative writing poetry. And uh, my undergraduate was actually advertising but that's because I lost my scholarship and ran out of time. And that was the only thing I could graduate with in, you know, rapidly. And then from there, I, uh, I, I thought, okay, it turns out teaching is what I want to do. Cause I'd done a lot of things. I worked as a butler at a casino. I managed a donut shop for a while, making literally millions of donuts by hand all night long. Um, 
So I wasn't sure at all what I wanted to do, and I interviewed for some advertising jobs, and they all just felt like being a corporate sellout. I'm not saying advertising is a corporate sellout, but the jobs I interviewed for were. So so I thought, well, school is what I'm good at, maybe, if I tried. So I'll try grad school. So I went to Missouri State, had a teaching assistantship there, really loved it, really loved it right away. And I went with tons of people who work at OTC now. Uh, that whole class of English graduate students there ended up, half of them worked at OTC at one point or another. Um, Sam and Ashley Welk. And Jennifer Flynn, with Sally from the old days of the college, all those people were in graduate school with me at Missouri State. And I thought, if I want to do this, if teaching in college is what I want to do, then I need a PhD. So my wife was a singer. Um, so I applied to Vanderbilt, thinking we could live in Nashville. Or I applied to University of Arkansas Fayetteville, thinking I could commute. Um, Arkansas gave me a better package, so I went there and I did a PhD in rhetoric. So I think of my Academic specialty is kind of the intersection of uh, how we know what we know and how we convince other people of our truths with somewhere between philosophy, linguistics, and writing. And in the middle of that, I was kind of in the dissertating stage and just fried. I mean, I've been, it's, it was a two hour plus drive from my house to my office, and I had a research fellowship and an assistantship and a full load. And I thought, I got to, they worked out a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule for me. And I thought, I really have to find like a Tuesday, Thursday gig just so I can get out of bed because I have these 20 hour Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. So I called OTC and said, don't you guys have a joint somewhere in Branson? Haven't you had like, haven't I seen the sign somewhere an email or something? And that turned into sure I can teach. And so I picked up a Tuesday, Thursday morning class. It's before I had home internet. So part of the appeal was like, here's a space I can work after I teach, you know, um, taught there for a while, got done with my coursework. And, uh, you know, um, at the time, Sue Moore, who's since retired, was the dean of extended campuses, uh, education centers. Uh, I was right about the beginning of Richwood Valley as the Ozark Center became Richwood Valley. And so I think they were trying to figure out if they could really take off in Branson or if this was just kind of never going to really get any traction. And so they decided to hire an administrator full time. And she called me and asked me if I'd interview. And so uh, I thought about it. I wasn't initially super excited about it. Over the weekend, my wisdom teeth became impacted. And I was just miserably, I mean, like hands shaking in pain. And I thought, this sounds like a real, like a grown-up job with dental benefits. So I should apply. And I applied. Uh, the funny thing about that, that's, that's been long enough ago now that it, I mean, it was so many first-generation OTC people. It's neat when you work at an institution as young as this to see the kind of pioneers were still around when I started, and some of them still are, but many fewer. Those guys, Shirley Lawler was on that committee, just a bunch of great, great people who helped to start the college. I remember them saying, um, what's your marketing plan? And I said, because I was overly confident and glib, I said, you don't need a marketing plan. You have free community college in a historically illiterate, impoverished part of the country. You need a bigger sign. <laughs> so... I was about the level of sophistication I brought to the interview. Anyway, uh, they were all tired of looking for a better candidate, so they hired me. And about six months in, I thought, boy, this is super fun and exciting. I think I just, I kind of fell in love with the students and the sense of here's a small place. If you want it to be something, it's going to take a massive infusion of energy, but the world is wide open. You can, this could be whatever it needs to be. And I loved working at the University of Arkansas, but there was a lot of entitled sort of frat boys. You know, it just does a lot of like, hey, man, it's, it's Thursday morning. We were all out on Dixon Street, you know, last night. Could you like just keep it real chill today? <laughs> and sort yeah. of thing. No, I can't keep it chill today. Right. I mean, it just felt like 
you know, a lot of students whose dad was the president of a bank in Toadsuck, Arkansas, and they needed me to stamp their card so they could go be hired as a head teller and move their way up, you know? Whereas when I met the students from the old Branson Education Center days, they were scared to death because so many of them, this is the first person in their family to do anything like this. Um, and to be able to sort of, there's a role. Uh, there's nothing wrong with helping encourage spoiled middle-class kids to figure out how to become grownups. That's valuable work. But in terms of what moves the needle for me emotionally, you know, people who've never had a chance, people who spent their whole life working in menial jobs and say, please help me find something better to do with my life. I just, I, I got so excited about it. And then, you know, from there, it's just been a wild ride. We've had something different every year. Almost. How does that compare to Springfield campus? Have you guys ever looked, dived into the data there where it's, we have such and such percentage of first generation college students here versus yeah. there? Yeah. And so, you know, that, that's, those are moving targets, obviously. Typically, uh, I guess Matt Simpson can call in and correct us if I'm wrong. But in the past, when I've, when I've run those numbers, we tend to be uh, poorest, typically. We tend to have a slightly higher than institutional average population of first-generation students. Sometimes Lebanon is a little bit poorer in terms of the average student population. But that's where we hover. We're also you know, reflective of the same economic national economic forces that Springfield is. So we're younger than usual right now in, in terms of student age and that sort of thing. You know? I watched Winter's Bone one time. I always tell people when I watch Winter's Bone, it was a strange experience for me. Do you guys remember Winter's Bone? Yeah, I do. And actually, there was a professional development day at uh, the Springfield campus, and I I can't remember, uh, but one of the instructors, one of the the composition instructors, did a session on place writing, and they showed Winter's Bone because it's something that she regularly shows in her class because, I mean, it's... Our backyard, right? And and yeah. you 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 definitely see a connection and 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 if you lived in this area or especially if you lived in rural parts of this area, you that was your experience. Right? Yeah, so get, I, you, I, I, there's a bunch of scenes in there. I'm like, oh yeah, I drive by that barn all the time. Do you get that when you watch Ozark? I haven't watched Ozark very much, are, but it's not really filmed here, though, is it? There's a couple spots where they have like at one point in the first season. Uh, the main character has like a woman on the edge of a cliff next to a lake, and it's one of the lakes here in this area. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. In in Winter's Bone, there's a scene in the school gym where in the background you can hear the PA calling for Miss Boyer over and over again. Miss Boyer has Sarah Boyer has trot as an adjunct here for probably twelve years now. Oh wow. So the whole time I'm watching Winter's Bone, I'm thinking this is a, about being sort of culturally trapped and there's no way out. But it's right over there. I mean it's right over the hill. And I keep thinking, Well, there is a pathway for it. We can make a pathway for Jennifer Lawrence or whoever <laughs> she's depicting, right? <laughs> yeah. Just come on over the hill, we'll help, you know? Yeah. So for me, it's been a battle to figure out how to get more programs and more pathways for people to be able to help more people. And I think also just kind of maybe wrapping up this biographical interlude. Um, if you grow up moving over and over and over and over again, it's something sweet about putting some roots down. I look forward to growing old with my friends, you know, like because I had different friends every year or two growing up. Right. So the idea that we're all going to shop at the same Walmart and then we're all going to grow old together. I'm sure it's a little bit fictional, but it's sweet to me. It means something to me. When you combine that with this place means something to me and I can help to make it better, then it just feels like what a sweet gig to luck into, you know? Isn't there some advantage to being one of those families that moves around a bit? I, I understand maybe you don't get to form as many or at least you don't have as easy a time forming those lifelong relationships, but moving around forces you to be a little bit more multicultural, gives you a, sure, a yeah. wider view on the human condition, perhaps. I think... For me, it's felt like um, wherever I'm at, I can find some people to get along with. I That's can right. Sort of yeah. fit in. I can make it. You know, there is no sort of home culture for me. 
beyond sort of fuzzy American middle-class Midwestern-ish kind of in the background somewhere. So when I lived in Kaiserslautern, I didn't have any trouble making German friends. And when I lived in Mildenhall, I didn't have any trouble meeting people. And so as I switched from college to grad school to grad school again, that always felt like a pretty comfortable switch for me. I think there's something weird where people who grow up in a small place and never get to leave, it would be so good for them to leave. Mm-hmm. And yeah. for people who spend their whole life sort of rootless moving, it would be so good for them to put some roots down somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I think it's this little bit of maybe balancing the virtues of both those experiences. How deep do your roots go, Jared? I was actually going to say, I, I, I can absolutely relate to that. I didn't travel overseas, but I didn't go to the same school as a kid until around for, for a full year until around fourth or fifth grade. And so I, I, I moved a lot uh, in, in those like, Formidable years, so mm-hmm. I, I never really had, uh, you know, I, I, I was always having to get a new group of friends. Uh, and then yeah, I kind of continued that because then once I graduated high school, I started moving around on my own again. Um, and so you, you definitely, I would say you definitely become adaptable. So, you know, that's kind of what I was talking about, that optimistic, whatever situation I'm, I'm in, I kind of feel this like, okay, I get to make choices now about how this goes, right, versus – Things are happening to me, you know. Like a greater uh, sense of personal agency? I think so. I can figure I'll, I'll navigate this, okay? I've navigated other yeah. situations in the past. I pulled it off then, and yeah. it was hard, so maybe I got a shot, right? Yeah. Uh, and I definitely feel that, like, now I really feel an appreciation for, for Roots. And similarly, I was also a first-generation college student. I was also – OTC was my first experience really in college and, and kind of got me into this and gave me the opportunity that I probably wouldn't have had otherwise – so I, I kind of feel that same kind of, uh, you know, I, I'm here for a reason. It's, it helps me. It gives me a purpose, and I feel like it's a chance to give other people purpose. My, uh, my first job ever was at OTC. You mentioned earlier, you talk about pioneers. Of course, my mother, sure, Mary yeah, Trucker, sure. was yeah. a pioneer. And when I was 15, I had my first job at OTC as a lab computer lab technician. That's what, back when they had CD-ROMs and all kinds of things. had to make sure they could use a program. And you would help these students walk through the program. And then you'd sit back at your desk and watch them complete. This is my first job that I ever had. And then uh, I took some classes here. And then, like, fast forward a few years later, and I end up adjuncting and full-time. So, you know, it's interesting how you and I specifically, Jared, how we orbited mm-hmm. around OTC for yeah. an elongated amount of time. Mm-hmm. We have uh, one of the sweetest things about working here has been I've been here long enough, one way or another now, that uh, – there are employees in the building that I taught. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Pan Porter, just for got, example. We just got done with Jackie Harris having the exact same conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought of that when I listened to the Jackie one and I thought of that. Pan Porter and I had that like favorite teacher advisor. One of my favorite teacher kind of moments or advising kind of moments is to say, hey, you're super good at this. Not like you get an A, but like if you want to come for my job someday, you could probably do just fine sort of thing. I had that conversation with Pan so many years ago, you know. And yeah, I, I kind of had the opposite. Uh, Eric Paul taught my first physics class. Uh, Mike Pulley was my creative yeah. writer instructor. Like I, 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 I'm now working with a lot of the people. That, yeah, uh, that's a true that's story. When I went to high school at Kickapoo High School, uh, uh, Angie McChesney was my chemistry teacher in high school, and then she ended up at OTC in the intervening years. And she ended up being when you do the new faculty institute. She was my mm-hmm. mentor for the year, and I was like, Phew. The arc of history is long, and it bends <laughs> towards chemists, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but that is kind of an interesting thing to, to circle back on. I had a – we have a, a new navigator here, Amy Donovan Munier, who's done various student services things at different times. She's kind and good and fabulous. She and her husband met my composition class. 
So I asked that they name their first child after me. <laughs> Reasonable. Uh, I thought that was, you know, the least they could do, but evidently they had a different opinion. And so whatever, you know, oh, I'm grateful. So speaking of, uh, 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 that kind of legacy, um, one of the things we like to ask our guests to, to get to know them better is, is there someone that you kind of see as a personal hero or someone you look up to that you would like to share with our listeners? Sure. It's a weird one, though. Um, he is still doing the same thing that so impressed me when he was in his class many, many years ago. Uh, Johnny Wink, who is an English professor at Washita Baptist University for maybe 40 years now, is just a living legend. So, I mean... I, uh, I had this class with him. This is one specific moment that stands out, but he's just a strange and wonderful man. Um, he uh, was teaching a, a senior poetry seminar where we were supposed to be workshopping each other's poems, which I'm, I'm you know, as an undergrad, just a complete slob. So I show up not having read any of these poems. I'm just winging it all. For a while, I think it'd be funny if I interpret every poem as a sort of metaphor of communism, right? Mm-hmm. Or sort of, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure. Because I'm, you know, 19 and a moron, right? So... Um, he brings were you, this poem. Were you, were you communist as 19 or were you just kind of dabbling? Or you just I, was just, to, I was just having fun just messing up the poetry workshop, right? <laughs> um, and so uh, he brings this poem in that we're supposed to have read, but no one has. It's about astronomy. And uh, the guy who was in the workshop, a very quiet guy who spent some time in the Philippines growing up, ended up being a very successful, I mean, won a number of major poetry awards, has a couple of great books published. His poem certainly deserved my attention, but I did not know that because I hadn't read it. And so Dr. Wink says to the class, here's this word. Tell me a little bit about the etymology of that word. I'm hoping you're really digging into the etymology of the words and getting the layers of meaning here. And so everybody stares at him blankly because we have not read this poem, right? We don't know these strange astronomical terms. And he goes, okay, well, how about just the dictionary definition? What does the word even mean? What? Unfortunately, we don't have the answer to that question either. So we're all sitting around this conference room table, sort of awkwardly staring at each other. And he just starts to cry. And so he sort of wipes away a tear and says, you know, I believe so much in this work. And I think, you know, I've done it for so long. But you hope that it means something to the people you're trying to teach. You hope that somehow you're connecting to them, to the things that have meant so much in your own life. And then you have these moments where you think, no, maybe not. Maybe you should have quit five or ten years ago. Maybe the whole thing has been a farce. I don't know how we can continue with class. And he just shuffled out of the room and we were heartbroken. And I, I tell you that because I've, I've never wept in my classes. <laughs> I don't remember weeping in a class anyway. But the idea that this was meant to be something more than a sort of transaction, this was something that meant a great deal to him, that he was trying to communicate something of value to us, really stuck with me. I felt ashamed, and I think justifiably so, because he tried to give me something that was precious to him and I sort of treated it like it was a joke, you know? Do you remember the word? No, unfortunately, I kept thinking. Oh man, Jared I was waiting for it. I <laughs> was waiting. The, do you remember it. the name of the poem or the author? Well, I, I can find the name of the author because I, I've since bumped into his name a few times and been like, "Oh, I guess he was the real deal," because you know he sure. just won this award or whatever. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll get that from you later and, and share it on the on the on the uh, future episode. Yes, it was. There was a, it was a Sestina. I remember that, which is a. Uh, uh, the stanzas are each six lines and they repeat end words in kind of a strange hypnotic rhythm. And it was about the tide in the Philippines. Struggling with words and trying to remember. Uh, Dr. McGrady had tweeted recently that everybody, or at least I think she agreed with somebody else who had tweeted that uh, you always remember the word that you got wrong in a spelling bee. 
Did you ever, did you ever flunk out of spelling bee, but you remember the word? I, I still to this day, it happened to me in fourth grade. It I happened to me too word. when I was at Bingham Elementary in like third grade, and I can't remember the you can't word, remember your word. But I know it was easy now. Well, like now, right? But yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't. This is, I mean, development. Yeah. I messed up development. Yeah. It's oh, a rough one. It occurs to me that I probably never did look up the word, and that's why I don't remember it all these years. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like, though, the, the what he really wanted you to get out of it, you did. We wrote him an apology note, and we meant it. And he that's came good. back to class, and we continued with the semester. But I think just, the, again, that idea that this wasn't just some things to memorize, or we weren't just kind of going through the motions. He meant for this to be meaningful, and he was dedicating his life, his sort of professional life to it, you know? So. Fantastic. And what, what um, you brought up the college again. What position did you play? Uh, in basketball, in basketball, yeah. I mean, sort of like sit the bench for six weeks and then quit and realize this wasn't going to work out. For me. <laughs> Did you have a position though that you played going in, thinking I thinking a, you were fast, but I was a pretty telling. darn good uh, sort of small forward in high school. And that uh, in high school, if you're savvy, you know everybody falls for the pump fake in high sure, school, sure. right? And if you can shoot, and I was, uh, you know, always big and thick and strong. Um, that was enough. It was not enough. At the next level, I just couldn't guard anybody. Man, they were just flying past me, just an endless lay of line. If I'm on you, right, sort of thing. Sure. So, uh, in in Branson, I think people are more familiar with um, uh, the uh, the shows, uh, the theme parks, things like that. But um, as someone that lives here, uh, could you tell us, like, so? You've got a sitter, uh, you're, you're going out, uh, uh, with your wife for the night. Uh, where do you guys go? What do you do for entertainment yeah, for sure. fun as a local? Um, I'll tell you like our perfect day. Our perfect day involves hiring a sitter. Like you said, that's a key, it's a key point, right? And then, uh, we drive to, I mean, we drive to, for a long time. I was into researching sort of, uh, hidden swimming holes. So I have GPS like coordinates for a number of like walk through the farmer's field. He doesn't mind as long as you don't make a mess sort of thing. And then just hidden little pockets of like beautiful clear water and trout and bald eagles. And, you know, Imagine there's maybe a ton we bring a little here. bit of booze with us. We have a few drinks. We swim in the swimming hole. On the way back, we stop at Brick Oven Pizza in Harrison for the Bubba's Pizza and some draft yingling. That's a perfect day That's as far perfect as I'm concerned. Day. Yeah. That's a good, simple, yeah. high quality Hits all the major, hits the haste buds, hits the uh, the sensation of the the, the uh, swimming in the cool water. I don't know. Are they usually, what are these little swimming holes? Are they freezing cold? Or are they yes. <laughs> yes, they're cold. Uh, and then also we're big lake people, so we'll spend a lot of time on Table Rock. I'm, big, I'm really big into river float trips, like overnight camp on a sandbar sort of thing. So I'll do that maybe time. five or ten times every summer. Um for a while, I was kind of into playing Outfitter where I'd take three or four buddies and I had all the cots and tents and stuff we need. And then I had a couple bad wrecks in high water and lost all the cots and tents and oh, stuff. No. And, uh, I'll tell you my bucket list item for me and my wife, which we are committing to doing this summer, the entire length of the current river, which is about 146 miles of what's floatable, I think, as a seven-day kayak trip. Wow. Camping on sandbars, freeze-dried meals, the whole thing, you know? So looking forward to that. We might cheat and get a cabin like halfway through just so you can take a shower one night and rest. But then, yeah, the longest I've done is 60 or 70 miles. So that'll be a little bit of a stretch. But How far is that from here? The current is mm-hmm. over, uh, well, it's like three hours from here. That's pretty far. But those are, Missouri's rich in these uh, spring-fed rivers, right? We have uh-huh. all the springs. Yes, yeah, you know, the that's spring right. spring state or whatever. 
So you don't have to worry about water levels. And then when it's real hot in the summer, their whole river valley will be a little, a couple degrees cooler because of the air conditioning effect of like millions of gallons of cold water coming up. And they're just so remote. If you go on a weekday and go a couple days, go 30 miles and not see anybody, maybe a beaver or two, you know? So love that. So the big question, uh, and, and you've done some research, um, but expectations are high. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're a regular listener, we, we really have some of the best academics in the world tackling this question. Um, That's and, a good point, yeah. And I'm glad to see really the competition stepping up, right? <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, and so as a, a rhetorician, mm. you yes. have a unique perspective as well, right? Yes, it's probably deep and wise is the things I'm about to say probably will be. <laughs> <laughs> so Gumby versus Mr. Ed, battle to the death. Who wins and Okay, why? but first I need one favor, which is that if the thing I say is a thing that somebody else already said, then we just rewind this and I'll say some other thing. Okay. Deal? Deal. All right. Here's my theory. Everybody thinks the secret power of Gumby is stretchiness, but it is in fact unbridled optimism. <laughs> right? Gumby is – from the, the YouTube clips I watched, he's in – you know – Unshakably cheerful. <laughs> but it's been my experience that unshakably cheerful people can be shaken by cynicism, you know, especially cynicism coming from a, a hard edged horse. So my belief <laughs> is that Mr. Ed would be able to discourage Gumby. And then at that point, right, there's there's really no point continuing the fight because Gumby has lost his will to live, so to speak. Okay, that is the darkest answer we have got. That is crushes not break his body, crush his crushes will, spirit. crushes yes. his spirit. spirit. I, no, no one's answered that specifically. I mean, if, if you kind of li- listen back, usually most people talk about attack versus defense, right? Mm-hmm. But and we have had a guest or two talk about, uh, you know, character or or the heart as you know part of the 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 weaponry that can be used, but never that specific. There is to- no defense against cynicism. It's a cancer. To and you know what? People uh, and organizations and actually, now that I think of it, Gumby, not that bright. I don't think it'd take a lot to to derail Gumby into seasonal depression i need to i need to watch back through because i i've i a lot of people do comment on thinking that gumby isn't that bright uh, he's i mean he's elmo smart like he's not it's not that he's <laughs> stupid <laughs> isn't elmo supposed to be a child though is gumby elmo's supposed also? to be like three and a half years yeah. old yeah but gumby is he's similar yeah he's a child essentially but uh huh. it yeah. makes it even darker if we're just going around discouraging children i, I mean Jared is the one that came up with the question: How are you going to defeat essentially a child with stretchability? So if that's the if that's I, I the, don't think that's, if that's the question. question that if that's the question, <laughs> if that's the question just, in front of you, then yeah, the yeah. answer is just take away his innocence and his hope. <laughs> oh my goodness, that destroys us all, doesn't it? <laughs> so uh, on that note, uh, we 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 usually kind of you know uh, uh, um, kind of pin things on on a particular question. Um, that is, our, you know, our guest is, is savvy on. Um, and in your case, um, you've been here kind of since the conception of Table Rock um, and uh, have a, a, a long history with OTC. So we'd kind of like to ask you about um, just that, um, the the roots of the Table Rock campus as it is today. You talked about um, getting a job in Branson as an instructor. So at that time, uh, was this the facility? Was it a different facility? Uh, yeah. yep. Tell us a little bit about the history of Table Rock. Sure. So my time in OTC in the Branson area goes back to the Branson Education Center, which was in the Branson Meadows Mall. Before that, they were in – it's a building on Fifth Street. It's performed – like people in Branson will call it the old kindergarten. 
or the old junior high. It depends on which generation you came from because it was a number of different things. And then it was tornado damaged and is sort of an eyesore that no one knows what to do with for the last 10 years or so. Um, but in the mall, I mean, it was just the Wild West. Uh, for a long, for a couple of years, uh, there were, you know, three full-time employees. Two of them were office staff, female, and then me. So I was the only male employee. So they alternated cleaning the women's restroom in the midday, and I would clean the men's restroom because we had custodial services, but they came overnight. And, you know, I came about, I came into the college right at the beginning of the Great Recession when we saw just historic increases in enrollment everywhere. So we had three-hour registration lines. And we had, you know, an endless flood of students and we don't know how we're going to deal with all these people. And we got to find some more teachers and get some more classrooms. And uh, it was just crazy and fun, man. Um, I remember my first staff meeting and, you know, I'm, I missed the first staff week because I had my wisdom teeth out, but the second staff meeting, right? Um, Dr. Moore says, okay, Rob, why don't you report on what's going on at the Branson Education Center? And I go, well, I think, I mean, you know, I don't even know what the hell's going on at all or at this point in my life, right? I'm, I'm sort of like, it's my first week, what should I do? And she said, familiarize yourself with the webpage. So I've been cruising the webpage, right? <laughs> trying to figure out how student services work so I can register this. I can help with the registration of this endless line of students that the office staff is helping with. And somewhere in the middle of it, there was a snake in the vending machine. And I thought, okay, well, here's a problem. I'm like, here's a problem I can solve. Like, I just need something to contribute, right? So uh, my accomplishments for the first week were twofold. I got the snake out of the vending machine. And then I went to the other campuses and I saw they all had TVs running like PowerPoint slideshows. So I said, what would that take? And they go, well, we don't really think it's going to work for you or whatever. It just felt like I kind of got, you know, slow jacked or whatever. So I took the school credit card, went to Radio Shack and bought a spool of coaxial cable and ran it through the ceiling tile and hung myself a TV in the corner, started around some PowerPoint slides. And then Dr. Moore came down and said, no, no, we have a, an IT department. You can't just go around like, like splicing things in sort of so put that back and take the stuff back to Radio Shack. That was my report at my first staff meeting. I got the snake out of the vending machine and I bought a TV and then I had to take it back. Hey, I mean, the classic phrase, not all heroes wear capes. You get That's a snake right. out of a vending machine, crying out loud. How was the, how, what was, how do you get a snake out of a vending machine? First of all. What kind of snake was it? Uh, it was like a little grass snake. It wasn't much. I Before just you say, I'm hoping you put in like C4 and it just came out of the whatever slot it was in. It was in the bottom. I just, oh, okay. Just grabbed it. And pulled it <laughs> I was picturing it actually in one of the candy slots. And then <laughs> yeah, like, it, right cost, it cost you a buck fifty, but you got to jump more in. quarters. Yeah. <laughs> um, so immediately I kind of got the bug of, oh, this is sweet work. We're doing something important in this community. And uh, I need to like I need community support. So we formed an advisory committee. I started going to Rotary. I started going to the Chamber of Commerce stuff. I remember a meeting. There used to be in Branson what they called catalyst groups, which were designed to work behind the scenes to catalyze you know new action. And I went to the education catalyst group, and they said, "Okay, we're in. We like what you had to say, young man." And it was a crowd of seniors, right? How can we help? And I said, I think somebody just needs to teach me the secret handshake. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand what it takes to become a local. I've lived here 10 years now, you know? And they said, all right, we'll take you around. So, I mean, meet the mayor, meet the chamber of commerce, meet Rotary and start talking about what would it take, you know, what would it take for this to really grow for us to serve these people like they deserve and to serve them like they need. They just don't know the need. They don't even perceive their own lack at this point in terms of the, the higher education opportunities in the area. Somewhere in there. Uh, Dr. Higdon and Cliff Davis came down to a Hollister City Council meeting or Hollister School Board meeting, I guess. And the school board said, you know, what would it take? And Dr. Higdon said, I mean, it takes a tax levy. If you want us to build a permanent facility, we're not going to spend 
Springfield taxpayer dollars in Hollister. If Hollister wants this facility, then Hollister needs to help pay for it. And they said, so you will guarantee a building in Hollister if we pass a tax levy. Yep, that's the deal. So, I mean, in that meeting, they voted. I mean, I think to hear Dr. Higdon tell the story, I wasn't at that meeting, but to hear him tell the story, I mean, they thought it was sort of like a vague interest or tell us a little bit more about the college, but they were ready to vote. They voted on it. And, uh, I mean, you know, okay. So then that's going to be, you know, in, in Missouri at the time and still slight differences to some changing legislation, but the school board has to put it on the ballot, right? And the people have to vote for it. So we began, you know, trying to educate the community about what we could offer and talk about what we could do. And there was an old barbecue restaurant here called Crockies. Rob Rector can tell you some funny stories about Crockies because he's got deep family roots in the area. And I know he's super proud of this building. Obviously beautiful building, but also not far from where his grandfather farmed, I think. Uh, I remember one day I got called and they said, hey, we, we've taken possession of Crockies, but we haven't knocked it down yet. And the sprinkler system burst and it's, you know, 12 degrees outside or whatever. And the inside of the building has turned to an ice skating rink. We need somebody to go over there. I said, all right. So was, I stole a horseshoe off the wall because it was like an abandoned building. And I thought, someday I'll want a souvenir of Crockies. Right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it just kind of goes from there. We've had so, I mean, one of the best things about my job, and I, I trained thinking I would teach literature. And I love teaching literature. Um, I love, strangely, I think kind of the nuts and bolts of it. I love how it's all put together. I love the technical aspects of poetry and those sorts of things, which makes me a little bit of an anomaly, I think, in the creative writing world because it, I have a kind of a structural sense about it, but I think if I had to do that day in and day out for 20 or 30 years, I might lose my mind. What's been fun for me is, you know, Hey, we got, we need to grow. We need this new program. Okay. Well, how can we make a partnership? Who will support us in the community? Who has to sign off on this for us to get this next thing going? Who has to sign first? Because number two, won't, I mean, so right now we're doing so many neat things. We've got so many new programs going. Um, and, I have so many, I, I, I tell people all the time I drive up to this building and I think it, it's a beautiful building. It's a beautiful, like the grounds are beautiful. The, the, the facilities team is doing an amazing job right now. And I think, I can't believe we pulled this off. Like, it's awesome for like, you know, a dumb kid who needed dental care and thought he was managing the 13th and 14th grade in the corner of an outlet mall. You know, this feels like, I can't believe this all happened. Uh, obviously we've worked hard at it and there've been so many good people involved, but it still feels like, well, this is amazing. And it also feels simultaneously like, well, this isn't good enough. The people in this community need more opportunities, they need more pathways. This, is, this isn't going to cut it because I have, in, in 2008, way back when, endless line of students, and I'm finally, I know enough to help somebody, right? And the, the office staff will laugh about how slow I am at helping people. Because I feel like if you waited in line for three hours, maybe somebody should ask you a few questions before they slap you in the glasses, you know? And when I had this conversation over and over again, where it's like, hey, I've been a waiter for 20 years. I just can't do it anymore, man. Help me find something more honorable for my life. And we didn't really have anything to offer those people besides math and philosophy and all the gen ed stuff, right? Well, that's great. But if you're trying to figure out how to raise a family and support a family and do something, with, we just needed more options. Uh, early on, we acquired a practical nursing program from Gibson Technical Center in Reed Springs. Um, and that was, for me, I remember just the first time I had a conversation with a potential student and I go, you seem like you might want to be a nurse. Would that, is that up your alley? Yeah, that'd be awesome. So good to have more options to offer people. And so, you know, now we've got practical nursing and registered nursing. In the fall, we hope to roll out uh, the accelerated straight to ASN program. We're doing paramedic to RN. I mean, so we have all these different layers of that now. But that started with, here's a program that is having trouble staying accredited and nobody wants. Would you guys be interested in managing it? And 
the joy of being able to offer that solution, that life pathway to somebody when before I wouldn't have had a good pathway for them. So every pathway we can create represents for me, like how many great conversations I'm going to have when somebody comes in and goes, gosh, you got something for a guy that likes to work with his hands. Yeah. Yeah. I do have something for a guy that you're going to like this. This is, this is a guaranteed win. You should do HVAC big winner. Like working outside, you know, it wouldn't be hard to get your own truck and build your own little HVAC business around here. There's a massive need. We can get you there pretty quickly, you know? So, uh, I think for a guy who comes from like a, a straight up humanities background, you don't get much more humanities ish than like the strange combination of linguistics and poetry and Marxism that was my grad school education. <laughs> but what's meaningful for me is to say, uh, I just, I just want to make a billion pathways for people so everybody can get where they're supposed to go, you know? That's how you make it feel like a satellite campus. Right. That's uh, different rather thing. than just some remote add on. For and, and so a from a campus. Yes, so much. From an administrative perspective, if you have some tax funding, then you can say these are the people who have asked us to serve them. And if you don't, then you can't I mean you can't have loss leading programs in areas because otherwise you're spending pe- taxpayers' money in other jurisdictions, right? So that's that's the benefit of this. We can start to build something permanent because we have a steady stream of revenue and the people who invite us to serve them more fully. Do you feel like it's what's the word I would use? Do you feel like it's snowballing? Like to a certain extent the community is understanding that for every dollar they put into OTC, they're getting, you know, probably some degrees of dollars back. So they're like, why not continue feeding this entity that is adding so much value to the community? Do you feel like it's snowballing a bit? Yeah, I think there's a bunch of different ways to answer that. On a random Tuesday, I get frustrated that I can't move faster towards my strategic goals. That it always takes, it's always partnership. You know, in the, in the, in the very beginning of my job in the old Branson Education Center days, I mean, I think as long as the numbers look good and everybody was happy, we were so small, nobody really cared what happened. But as you get bigger and you try to do bigger things, it involves partnerships and relationships. And so it's not always up to you. And it involves sort of diplomacy and trying to put things together and being frustrated it didn't work this semester, but maybe next semester we can pull it off. But if I take a 10,000 foot view, I go, boy, I've had a 15 year career. I don't really know how many years. It's either 14 or 15, but somewhere in there every single year. We've done a new program, a new facility. We've expanded something. We hired a cool new position. I mean, if you take a little bit of a view, you go, oh, yeah, we're picking up steam, you know? And if you get on Tuesday, it's, it, I have to think that way because on Tuesday, I'll get discouraged when I can't make the things happen that I feel like we need to make happen, you know? But if I draw back a little bit, I think, oh, we're headed in the right direction. We're getting there. I would imagine that's a healthy attitude to have, though. Like, I, I you can't keep your eyes off the horizon and I need to be at that horizon right now. That's got to be a healthy way to keep, continue going forward, especially if you want to keep uh, OTC adaptable, if you want to keep it, uh, uh, you know, if you want to continue coming up with new programs to offer. Otherwise, I think you might be prone to resting on your laurels a little bit. Yeah, I think I think in terms of what is, if this is my strategic goal, there have to be a thousand baby steps that gets there. What's my baby step for today? That and then also, like, do I need to call this person and get them on board, right? Do we need, I mean... Am I making the pitch to cabinet? Where where is our move next, right? And then also to be okay with striking out. Some of the ideas won't work. Some of the partners don't want to partner. Sometimes I take my idea to the people who are, you know, we we, we sit together, we talk about it, and everybody else points out obvious flaws in it. And so one of the things that I think I've, I've struggled to learn, but I hope I'm better at over the last five or six years, is sometimes my ideas aren't great. And what I need to do is go, oh, yeah, that's not going to work. Or you just feel like you're pushing this boulder up a hill and it's not going. It's not meant to be. Go figure out what is meant to be and make that happen, you know, because there are people who do want to partner and there are programs that everybody sees the need for. So you have to kind of be willing to, to, to bat 300 or something, you know? Right. Yeah. As opposed sense. to 
anything less than a thousand, then I'm furious. Yeah. yeah. So there are there are opportunities for students to you know see this campus as starting. They can get their foot in the door if they're interested in taking gen ed classes and doing AAS or, or transfer degrees like that. But you talked a little bit more about um, you also have these these um, programs that are designed to get you into a job that you're looking for. Um, you mentioned. Uh, RN and some other um, um, health uh, uh, worker, worker positions, uh, HVAC. What what kind of um, opportunities do you provide specifically here you feel like you're providing here at Table Rock? Sure. I want to not answer that question immediately, but first just jump back to say I feel so much ownership here that it's important for me to distinguish between what I'm proud of and what I actually did because none of this I did. I was sort of sitting in the chair while we were on a wild ride for a while, you know? Uh, it takes so many people, and there's so many people. I mean, you know, I don't manage healthcare programs, mm-hmm. right? Aaron Light manages healthcare programs and does a beautiful job, right? So, and so on and so forth. There's no part of my job that's fully my job. What I do is partner and liaison and try to try to be the energy and a little bit of strategic thinking and also community relations. But this is all owned by somebody else equally. I mean, I feel proud of this building. Rob Rector feels super proud of this building because he dreamed of it and it's close to his family roots and he did the work to make it come up out of the ground, right? So it's all shared. Um, right now, we have on the technical side, computer programming, HVAC, and construction science. On the health sciences side, we have PN, ASN, so the two levels of nursing, and the variants that I spoke about earlier. We have behavioral health and we have EMT paramedic. And then we have the full sort of gen ed transfer package. Did that, was that the actual question you were asking? That is. All right, I answer one. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and I appreciate just, you know, saying that, um, uh, you know, I, I often think a lot about, you know, institutions and, and, and being an institution as it's such a large stone that, you know, sometimes, you know, one view, one perspective is to say, okay, well, I on my own, if I'm going to move that stone, I have to run as hard as I can and ram into it, right? But there's this other kind of viewpoint that you're describing where it's, if I can work with enough people, if I can bring enough people together, if I can be part of this larger team, uh, you know, that doesn't always mean that it goes exactly in the direction I want it. Right. But the stone moves. Right? Well, then... The- Yes, with the caveat that this, I mean, it's going somewhere. We're living or dying or growing or shrinking or, I mean, this building will either be here or not be here next year. Those are the only logical <laughs> possibilities. So then it's going somewhere and I can't turn it, right? Mm-hmm. I can have a little bit of influence on that, I hope. Um, so for me, it's, it's largely about building coalitions to your point. And it's about, um, and those coalitions are between the little campus and the big campus. And those coalitions are between OTC and the communities we serve. So it's mayors and city administrators and rotaries and chambers of commerce and Dr. Higdon and the cabinet and Dr. McGrady and all those people trying to cast a vision that everybody, that represents everybody's interests and everybody can see the value of so we can sort of agree about where we want this thing to roll next, you know? But the building will either be here or not be here. Those are the logical possibilities. Year. I mean, that's the, you were talking about philosophy. That's what that philosophy education has done for us here. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you've got pretty good odds in one way versus the other, right? <laughs> well, fantastic. So uh, we really do appreciate your time. Um, uh, thanks for kind of inviting us to campus and having us here. Um, we, we hope 
maybe we'll inspire uh, someone here at Table Rock to strike up their own podcast, uh, either for uh, faculty or for students or for something we haven't even come up with. This is our requisite invitation for them to contact us when they do. Yes, so and we contact can give them some us. Love. We're happy to help. We're also uh, inviting anyone uh, to, to, to let us know who we should bring on next if we should come back. Um, or if you're ever in the Springfield campus uh, and would like to be on, um, this is an open invitation. Um, we learned a lot today about uh, the Branson area, about the history of of, of uh, uh, OTC and your uh, college basketball career. And <laughs> I mean, such as it calling was. it a career is really dignified <laughs> about what happened. And I was a walk-on for a minute, for a hot minute. That's about it. I, again, I'm, uh, cautious optimism. Right? Yes. Uh, I'm a, there's, a, there's a silver lining. Uh, I didn't know that, Andrew. How about you? I did not know that. I wanted to say that what you guys are doing is so cool. I mean, I just think um, in terms of who's going through the motions – and who's caring about their work and investing in this place and trying to make it something great, right? In powerful ways, you're giving us an identity or you're reminding us of our identity. It was, I mean, I said earlier I was intimidated by the Jackie's podcast because she's so smart and cool and positive. Sure, yes. She's a better, I said earlier, but I meant it, that she's a better person than I am. And I'm afraid people will find out, right? <laughs> um, I was deeply encouraged by that. What a great moment to remind, just to remember and, and spend a few minutes driving around Thinking about how many great people we work with, you know. That's right. Well, you're just bringing life and joy to people. It's it's a good thing. Well, we appreciate that. Yeah. And since we're doing since we're doing add-ons here, can we talk a little bit about the philosophy background? Because I I am very uh, I have a philosophy minor myself. You talked about earlier how we know what we know. Was that some of your favorite philosophy studying that you had done? Because that's like a huge. I had taken this class when I was at MSU called uh, epistemology. Yes. You ever learn, pick up on epistemology? How we know what we know? How can we know that we're not in a computer program right now? How do we know there's not a, a, um, a malicious God fooling us? That's also about our model of learning and how we learn. I'm pretty sure you guys just lost all 59 of your listeners. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, so that's, a, that's an average. We have my, gone a lot higher on here's some episodes. My, here, here's my favorite thing I learned in epistemology. There is a theory of epistemology because, again, how do we know – that this room is lit. Well, your senses tell you. Well, your senses can lie to you, right? So you shouldn't say, this is called adverbial theory. You shouldn't say you're in a room that's lit. You should say you're seeing the room in a litty kind of way. <laughs> is that what ad adverbial theory says? So the example they use in uh, uh, is that is greenfield. Are you really looking at a greenfield or are you just looking in a greenfieldy kind of way. That's called adverbial theory. And it kind of blew my mind. I was thinking about that for like two or three months. And then it was spring break later that semester. And I was floating in Table Rock Lake. And I was like, am I really floating in a lake? Or am I just floating having, in a lakey kind of way? And I was like, dad, screw it. I'm floating in a lake. Having a floaty kind of day. <laughs> I'm reminded of uh, the Counting Crows song, Long December. So I was going to say, are, you, are these like Boston lyrics? Or? <laughs> Do you guys remember the song, Long December? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a classic, right? There's a line in there that's always struck me, which is kind of, I think, loosely related. To see the way that he looks across the room and he's struck by this when he says to see the way that light attaches to a girl, uh -huh. which I've always thought was interesting from a physics perspective and from a phrasing and lyrical perspective, but also, you know, because correct me if I'm wrong, but we, we sort of see the light that's reflected, not the light that's not reflected or some something. That's like right. That. We're specifically yeah? the things we receive are because of the, the photons reflecting off or at a certain wavelength. So we see a certain color. So they're not attached. They're they're reflecting. What we're well, seeing. some of them are absorbed, right? Some, some of them, them are absorbed. Right? So then, but that's not what we see. 
Sorry, I'm getting. I, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delete the song from my iPad. Yeah. <laughs> because you've ruined it for me. <laughs> but still, be- beautiful, you know, language and, and sentiment. Yeah. Um, this is a shameless plug. Somewhere in all this, as I was finishing up my PhD, I failed miserably in my first dissertation topic, which was going to be, I mean, a really groundbreaking, <laughs> disciplined, changing project that was wildly overreaching. And I wrote 400 pages of. I mean, mostly nonsense, but confusing nonsense. So it had that going for it. And I went back to the dissertation committee and said, uh, I think I'm in trouble. And they said, yes, you remember when you told us the project and we told you it was a real bad idea. And you said, watch me. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I said, I would like to apologize for that moment. Can I have a different project? And they said, why don't you do something about your amazingly weird little community college and outlet mall job? And I, I, I was struck by how much sense that made. A week later, I had a conversation with a student in a hallway that really blew me away. And I thought, I don't even know what he's talking about, right? And so I began to think, I don't understand these kids very well because my experience is so different from them. I get along fine with them, but I want to know them better. So I did a really, uh, I think, super interesting, for me at least, project. I mean, it's, it's sort of, it was my personal life. I did a case study, like Gorillas in the Mist, but with the residents of Taney County, <laughs> first generation, like college students. And I said, hey, man, what are you guys doing for dinner? Can I come over? Want to play Xbox with me? Let's talk about how you write and when you write and why you believe what you believe. Let's talk about your sort of epistemological fa- like framework. Where do you come from? How do, how do you know that to be true? You know, hmm. and ended up with some really interesting sorts of conversations. I had, a, I mean, I had a student in there who was, you know, sort of you can challenge my faith all you want, but I saw the angel, and I was like, well, I think you're going to have to take a step back and tell me about the angel you saw, sort of thing. So it was a fascinating project. It really shaped how I. I skipped over it earlier because nobody wants to hear about your dissertation, but it really shaped how I feel about this community and trying to understand and serve the people who walk in the front door, maybe the first person in their family, maybe don't believe in the ideals of higher education, but man, you got to come here if you want to get a job. So you'll have to listen to whatever nonsense they want to tell you and pass their dumb tests. That's right. So we'll convert you in the mean, in the, right. In the well, process. it is a conversion process to some degree. And, I, and so I sort of conclude the dissertation by saying we should admit that we would like to change the way you think a little bit, you know? While we help you get a job, while we help you achieve your goals. You know? And I think it's also important too that, you know, and something that you, you, you see and I think of experience and have, have spoken on, you know, being immersed in this community that if you tell people they can, if you hold up an expectation, they meet it, yep. right? They'll come to you. They'll, they'll get there. Um, versus, you know, if, if you point at them and say, well, you're this, they'll also believe you then too. And that's not always the outcome. How do you, how do you, Jared, how do you differentiate what you're describing with just blowing smoke up somebody's tail? Cause I understand you. I know you. And so I understand that when you're communicating with people that you are sincere. How do you differentiate that in your head between just encouraging people for just to make them feel better about themselves and, and, and just blowing smoke or genuinely pushing them in directions that you think uh, will benefit them and that they would be fruitful for them. I, I guess I just hope I'm not blowing smoke that it, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to what I actually believe and, and, and to, to experience, right? Like in, in the classroom, if I, uh, you know, challenge a student, I, I, I see him meet that challenge, right? If I intentionally, you know, if you intentionally try to set a goal that, that someone can't meet, they're going to fail. And, you know, what's the purpose of that? So, uh, so I guess my answer is I, cause I believe it. Yeah. Sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. It's not duplicitous or anything. Yeah. Like that. I, I think that that is, 
the gift that's the gift that our position gives us you and i and and to an, to an extent certainly rob as well is that we do have the ability to be the angel on their shoulder yes and you know you know and what the, i'm saying and the rob devil on the other shoulder yeah. too to your point i think i have a little rhetorical trick i, I take your point jared like the reason people believe it when you tell them good things about themselves is because it's not a lie yeah but I have a, a further extension of that, which I don't think I've ever said out loud before, so it might come out funny. But I think of it in terms of I try to critique things that are within their uh, ability to change and to praise things that speak to their personhood. So as an English person, right, I grade a lot of essays. So I try to say, gosh, I can see you're thinking here, and this is fine thinking. You're a bright person. And here's a problem that you can fix pretty easily because you're a bright person. So it, it's sort of like... I, I think it's too easy for people to turn in essays and it becomes immediately personal because they feel like they've expressed something. And then you sort of say, that's a D because you don't know how to spell, right? To say, hey, the bad news is you don't know how to spell. The good news is it's pretty easy to learn how to spell and the computer can help you. But you have good ideas. It's a shame for your spelling to get in the way because I want to know you and see how you think, you know? So I think about you can be critical, but you can't be critical of their personhood. And, and then... Maybe the flip side of that is if you're saying positive things about someone else's personhood, hopefully we're all enough of humanists that we can find something positive to think about people's personhood, and, right? And I mean, and that's really the challenge, right? Because and I've, I've talked a little bit about this before and something that I, I work with a lot is it, you, you, students often don't separate their identity from their ideas. And that's when it really becomes challenging because then if the idea is yes. wrong or bad, that means they're wrong or bad. Yeah. And that is not the yes. case at all, yes. right? And as, you know, uh, as, as we've learned from experience, and we know that, you know, or, or we are, or, or I think at least, I guess I'm speaking for myself, I, I want my idea out there to receive criticism so I know it needs to be changed or, or there's other perspectives, right? And you, you start to take that risk and want that feedback. And students aren't necessarily at that place because, like mm -hmm. you're saying, well, this is me. This is what I think. So if, if what I think is wrong, I must be wrong. I must be bad. And that's yeah. really difficult. You have to be able to somehow decouple those. And that's something, that I to, uh, that's something I try to do when I hand exams back because there's going to yeah. be a percentage of the people in the room that just can, did not perform very well. Yeah. And you try to tell them I'm not measuring your worth. I'm not even measuring your intelligence. Yeah. I'm really just measuring your preparation. That's it. So yeah. if, you got, if, if your grade didn't – if you didn't deliver the grade that you thought you should have or could have. That's right. How you fix it is not by, well, be smarter. Yeah. Or be a better person. When, oh, just prepare when, better. That's, when you do well. That's an easy it, fix. You don't say, oh, wow, you did well. You, you must be so smart. It's, oh, you did well. You must have worked really hard. Yes. You, you yeah. really earned that, right? You know who's a genius at that and I miss at the institution? I don't know if you guys knew Carla Gregg, who retired, what, four years I ago? I did maybe? know Carla Gregg, yeah. So I do, among other things, student discipline here. But in conjunction, every, nothing is mine. It's all shared, right? Which is as it should be. So often had meetings with difficult student problems with Carla, who can A, provide wisdom and oversight, and B, make sure whatever sanctions we're imposing are sort of in keeping with precedent across the institution and try to keep me from getting sued and that kind of thing. Uh, there is, you know, a relatively small person who can look people in the eye and absolutely call out their behavior and somehow speak value into them at the same time. I don't even know exactly how she, she did that so well, but I always looked forward to those meetings. I just wanted to sort of record it or take notes or something because I thought Carla could, there's just no BS at all. You want to talk about, well, here's why I did it. No, no, that was unacceptable behavior. That's a, I mean, no, this is hard stop. And we like you and we want you to succeed. And here's a pathway forward for you. 
So one of the things I took from that is with student discipline, you really can't not create a pathway forward because when people feel like they're trapped then they're always going to act badly, you know? So anyway, good I, note. I miss Carla. She was cool. So who have we replaced her with? We know you can't replace her. No, I could. <laughs> who has filled her position? Well, Andrew Goodall has been doing a lot of student oh, discipline go. work lately. Yeah. And Andrew Goodall uh, is a very different approach, but I think combines that ability to look you in the eye and just sort of say, no, 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 that wasn't good enough. That was unacceptable. You can't do that for sure, you know? Uh, but we like you. We're trying to find a way forward for you, and there will be consequences for your actions, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think, weirdly, since they seem like very different people, maybe there's some real similarities there, you know? So both of them I've enjoyed working with because – those are always tense situations and you're hoping for a good outcome for the student because you like the student. And even when they're paying the butt, you want to see them find their way forward. And so I've always felt like I've been lucky to have Carla or Andrew as kind of allies in that conversation. You know? I had a therapist like 15 years ago, tell me about the idea of the compliment sandwich. You heard of that? Yeah. Is you say the nice thing, then they criticize then the nice thing again, to, or at least some new nice thing to kind of mm-hmm. make sure that it's coming in in an earnest way rather than, uh, uh, I don't know. Softens the blow, right? Yes. I think of it also like parenting, right? I'm not going to let my kids act in unacceptable ways because I want them to have good lives, right? So then therefore there are boundaries and we're going to enforce them, but I don't like you less Mm -hmm. because you acted out. I like you all the way, all the time, right? And sometimes you you like them a little more (laughs) because you respect, you know, they got some gusto. Yeah. Sometimes uh, the sassy (laughs) ones are the cute ones. Yes, for sure. But that that same sense of like, these are the rules and these are the consequences for breaking the rules. But that is always on your side, Mm -hmm. you know? So I try to think of it in students and these are the rules and you broke the rules. These are the consequences. But the institution is here to serve you. We are on your side, you know? Awesome. Well, fantastic. What do you, what's it called in a book whenever it's the ending, but then it's like, well, actually, there's this little part after the ending. Uh, epilogue? Epilogue. Yeah. So that was a fantastic Yeah, a little bit of an epilogue. epilogue. Yeah. Uh, uh, that, was so, like the, that was like the Lord of the Rings, yeah. where it had like that, that, this episode has had like five endings. <laughs> that might be the only way in which it was like the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> well, someone might complain that, well, why didn't the Eagles just take him to the end at the beginning yeah. of the book? <laughs> How do you feel about that debate? Should the Eagles... Oh, have- let's save that for another... <laughs> Listen, you think you can just boss the Eagles around. The Eagles are independent operators. They do yeah. as they please. That's right, They're right? Not a this Hobbit is the Lord of service. This is the Lord of the Eagles. He answers to no one. <laughs> so, uh, again... Uh, 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 just a, a fantastic meeting with you and, 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 and <laughs> everything that you've, you've, you've brought to the table today and the podcast. Andrew, I did not know that. How about you? I did not know that. Now you do. <laughs> Thank you so Yay. much. <laughs> Thank you.